In 2000, Aisha Degree was a fourth grader living in Shelby, North Carolina. Aisha was loving playing basketball that year and was really, really good at it. Her future was bright. Not only was she growing into a standout athlete, she was also an excellent student and got very good grades. Aisha, who lived with her mom, Aquila, her dad, Harold, and her brother, O'Brien, didn't have access to computers or internet. Her mom wanted the children to be raised without those outside influences. By all accounts that year, Aisha was a happy child and had a stable family life. But on February 14th, 2000, when Aquila went to wake Aisha up for school, she was nowhere to be found. Aisha has never been seen or heard from since. Where is Aisha Degree? everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to this bonus episode of the Where Are They podcast. Asia's case was one of our first cases, and I have been spending some time going back through some old cases, and I want to talk about Asia Degree's case again. Personally, this case seriously mystifies me, and I know a lot of people out there feel the same way. Aisha's case does receive some media attention here and there, still, even 22 years later. This is probably the case I've covered that is the most well-known out of the almost 100 cases we've talked about so far. This episode today is brought to you by ButcherBox. I also want to thank everyone who has visited our merchandise store this month as we work to raise money for Texas EquiSearch. Thank you all so, so much. If you have any charity suggestions for us in the future or even case suggestions, please send me an email at canwefindthem at gmail.com. So let's talk about little Asia Degree. We'll start by taking a look at who Asia is and was in the year 2000. And yes, I am saying was because I'm referring back to the year 2000. For most of this case, Aisha was a very ambitious and competitive child. She wanted to be good at everything she did, and for the most part, even just at age nine, she was. She was an excellent student and, as a fourth grader, was excelling. Aisha also recently joined basketball and just happened to be her team's point guard. Those who knew Aisha said it was exciting to watch her grow because they knew whatever she took on, she would be good at or would at least work super hard to be as good as she could be. Aisha lived in a duplex home in Shelby, North Carolina, with her mom, Aquila, her dad, Harold, and her older brother, O'Brien. Her grandmother and aunt lived just across the street, so it seemed like Aisha had a fair amount of family nearby. Aisha's family was also very devoted to church, attending every Sunday, and Aisha was very involved in church as well, She enjoyed Sunday school, and her family never missed a day at church. 
Aquila, Aisha's mother, wanted to raise Aisha without the influence of the internet and electronics. She wanted Aisha to be a kid, and she wanted her to be safe from those outside influences and dangers. And in 2000, really, the internet was still in its infancy, so Aquila wanted to be cautious. All in all, Aisha's life seemed happy and stable in the year 2000. Let's look at the timeline of events leading up to Aisha's disappearance. Friday, February 11th, 2000. Aisha, who was in fourth grade, and O'Brien, who was just about a year older, did not have school that day. And since both their parents had to work, the nine and 10-year-old stayed with their grandmother and their aunt, who happened to live right across the street from them. Their grandmother will remember that day and will talk about how it was just a normal day and that she had watched the kids often. Nothing unusual. That evening, once Aquila got home from work, she took Aisha and O'Brien both to basketball practices that evening. Saturday, February 12th, 2000. Aisha had her first basketball game on this day. She was so excited and began the game giving it her all. She was the point guard and she was one of the stars of the team. And it ended up being a very close game. But in the fourth quarter, Aisha fouled out. The team, her team, went on to lose the game, but just by one point. And Aisha took it really hard. She blamed herself. And her mom talked about how devastated Aisha was for the majority of the day. Not only was Aisha disappointed in herself, but she was sad and felt that she let her team down. This just goes to show what a dedicated child Aisha was, even at just nine years old. The rest of the day was uneventful and the family hung out at home. And while Aisha moped around for a bit, Aquila said her daughter would pet back up by the evening time. And she wasn't too worried about it because that's how Aisha was. She took things to heart because she worked so hard at everything, but she also bounced back quickly. Sunday, February 13th, 2000. The degrees went to church as they always did. Aisha went to Sunday school and had a great time, which she chatted to her family about afterwards. It seemed the drama from the basketball game the day prior had completely subsided. Aisha was back to her happy, bubbly, excited self. Later on towards the evening, Harold had to leave for work. He was working two jobs during this time, and he would have to leave for several hours that night. Aquila said that she spent the evening at home with O'Brien and Aisha, and both kids were really tired that night and would end up going to bed around 8 p.m., Aisha and O'Brien shared a bedroom in their two-bedroom duplex, but it seemed to work for the time being. They would have to. That night, Shelby, North Carolina got hit with a thunderstorm, and the power was going in and out throughout the night. Aisha was able to fall asleep, but Aisha hated storms, and her mom knew it. She would check in on her a couple of times before she herself headed off to bed. I want to add there are some reports that say the power outage that night was due to a car accident in the neighborhood. And really, whatever the real cause of the power outage was, it doesn't change the two things that are important here. Number one, there was a power outage. 
And number two, there were storms that night. Now, Harold got home from work just after midnight. He walked around the house to check on everything, including the kids, and noted that they were both fast asleep in their beds. He stayed up for a couple more hours to make sure the power stayed on and just to wind down for the night. And then around 2.30 a.m., he finally went to bed himself, checking on the kids one last time before turning in. Both Aisha and O'Brien were still fast asleep. Monday, February 14th, 2000. This was a special day. Not only was it Valentine's Day, it was also Aquila and Harold's 12th wedding anniversary. Aquila woke up that morning just before 6 a.m., just as she always did. She went to wake up O'Brien and Asia for school around 6.30. But when she poked her head in the room, calling out to them to wake them up, O'Brien lifted his head, acknowledging her, but she saw no movement from Aisha's bed. So she went over closer and realized to her shock that Aisha wasn't in bed. While she was definitely startled to find Aisha's bed empty, she also immediately didn't think the worst. Maybe Aisha had already gotten up. Maybe she was in the kitchen or the bathroom. So Aquila walked around the home calling out for Aisha. When she didn't find her in the house, she began calling her name louder and louder. And soon, Harold woke up. When Aquila told him that Aisha was missing, he told Aquila to call his mom across the street and see if maybe Aisha had gone over there. But she had not. Aquila, in a panic, started running around outside, screaming for Aisha, even checking inside cars to see if maybe Aisha had crawled inside of a car to hide. But she couldn't find her anywhere, and Harold realized they need to call the police. They called out the Shelby Police Department, who responded right away, even bringing search dogs with them right off the bat. And I don't always say this because we don't always see this type of response from law enforcement, but Shelby Police acted just like we would hope any police department would react in the case of a missing child. Now, before we talk about the search efforts and the sightings of Asia, let's have a quick word from our show partner today, Butcher box. Are you tired of always wondering what's for dinner? Grabbing takeout because there's nothing in the fridge or freezer? Butcher Box is your answer to high quality meats being delivered right to your door with prices you can actually afford. Butcher Box only works with companies and farmers that are dedicated to doing things right. Meat and seafood are sourced only from partners that offer the highest quality and meet the highest standards. 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, and wild-caught seafood ensure you're getting only the best. What I love is that you can curate your own box based on your needs, and even choose your shipping schedule, which can be changed at any time. Make life easier on yourself. Have a box delivered to you, so you can keep your freezer stocked with healthy options for you and your family. Save money with unnecessary trips to the store and save on ordering takeout because you didn't have time to go shopping. The best part is, if you use our referral link in the show notes, you can receive ground beef for life. Yes, you heard that correctly, for life, as well as $30 off your first box. Shipping is always free. 
Again, go grab yourself free ground beef for life and $30 off your first box by using the link in our show notes. Okay, now let's talk about the search for Asia degree. Law enforcement came out gangbusters. Some started talking to neighbors while others searched the house and talked to the family. They had narrowed down the timeline of her disappearance to happening between 2.30 a.m. when her dad last saw her and 6.30 a.m. when her mom went to wake her up. Something had happened between 2.30 and 6.30 in the morning. Of particular interest to the officers was talking to O'Brien. He, after all, shared a bedroom with his sister. O'Brien said the only thing he had heard during the night was at some point he did hear Aisha's bed squeak, but he figured she was either just rolling over or maybe had gotten out of bed to go to the bathroom, and he didn't get up to check it out or even open his eyes, and I'm sure that the two of them sharing a small room, they just learned to tune out little noises like that. He also didn't really know what time that might have been. Officers searched the house and they looked for anything out of the ordinary or any signs of a possible break-in, but there were none. Friends, family, and neighbors all came together that day. They canceled plans, they called in sick to work, and everyone went out and searched for Asia. As word of the missing nine-year-old spread through the town, A few different people came forward saying that they saw a young girl that fit Aisha's description walking down the highway between 3.45 a.m. and 4.15 a.m. One man in particular said he turned around and went back to see if he could offer her any help, but when he rolled the window down to talk to her, this girl darted off into the woods. He had seen her walking south along Highway 18, wearing a long-sleeved white t-shirt and white pants. He also said he drove by a few times to see if he could spot her or find her again, but he couldn't. And he also noted that at that time there was a, quote, raging storm, end quote, going on outside, which, remember, little Asia was terrified of storms. A couple of other reports came in from motorists saying that they saw a girl that could have been Asia walking down the same highway. All the reports said that they saw this girl on the same area of the highway, giving more credibility to their statements. Sheriff Dan Crawford was quoted as saying, quote, We're pretty sure it was her because the descriptions they gave are consistent with what we know she was wearing. End quote. What's kind of interesting to me about all of these sightings is that no one called the police until after they had heard of Aisha's disappearance on the news. And I don't really understand that. A nine-year-old girl walking alone on a highway at four o'clock in the morning during a storm and is not properly dressed for it. And no one called the police, but no one did at least until reports of Asia started swirling around and hitting all of the news stations. And yet law enforcement does believe these sightings are credible. And I just want to say, if you see a young child out walking at 4 a.m. on a highway during a storm, please call the police. Searches that day were pretty immense, despite 
the weather. The only item that they found that day, though, was a girl's mitten. But Aquila and Harold said it did not belong to Asia. And the search dogs that they had brought out did not pick up any scent for Asia either. Which is interesting, especially if Asia did indeed walk away from the house. The parents were looked at fairly closely, too, as is the case with any missing children reports. They were both given polygraphs, to which they both reportedly passed, and they were very cooperative with investigators. Neither Aquila nor Harold were ever considered suspects. The next day, February 15th, searchers who were concentrating on the area where Asia was seen running into the woods did find some items in a shed that belonged to a nearby business. They found some candy wrappers, markers, a pencil, and a Mickey Mouse hair bow. Aquila confirmed that those items did indeed belong to her daughter. On February 16th, Aquila realized that Asia's favorite pair of jeans were missing, along with another one of her shirts. This confirmed investigators' theories that Asia ran away from home. But why? Asia seemed happy, there weren't any family problems, and Asia wasn't mad about anything, at least that her parents were aware of. It didn't make any sense. Plus, Asia was terrified of storms. What would prompt her to run away in the middle of the night during a storm? On February 22nd, after over 300 leads were investigated that led detectives nowhere, the mass local search for Asia was called off. But investigators never stopped looking for her and never stopped working her case. Aquila and Harold worked the media rounds in the months that followed, not only appearing on local television, but also appearing on the Montel Williams show and even the Oprah Winfrey show. And authorities continued to believe that Asia ran away. And something must have happened to her afterwards. She either became lost or someone abducted her. Many people believe that she had to have been lured out of her home by someone because there was just no reason for Asia to run away. Now, Asia certainly wouldn't be the first child to run away from home, but most end up coming back after a short time, especially at age nine. Or they are at least found. And the fact that Asia was terrified of storms is questioned a lot as well. Would she really have left during the middle of the night on her own accord when it's dark and stormy outside? Was she possibly supposed to meet up with someone? The case, in a sense, went cold, although detectives and family continued to search and never really considered it a cold case. It wasn't until August 3rd, 2001, a year and a half after Asia went missing, that investigators caught a break. A contractor working in Burke County, about 26 miles from where Asia was last seen in Shelby, dug up a black garbage bag that had been buried. Inside that bag was another black garbage bag. And inside that one, a backpack. And the backpack was confirmed to be Asia's. The contents of the backpack, however, were pretty mysterious. There was a New Kids on the Block t-shirt or nightshirt, which did not belong to Asia. 
and a Dr. Seuss book, which Aisha's parents had never seen before. The book was actually from Aisha's school library, however, and while police are being tight-lipped about this, it was learned that it was not checked out by Aisha. Does that mean that it was checked out by someone else, or had it left the library without being properly checked out at all? Even with the discovery of the backpack, the police found no new evidence as to where Aisha was and what may have happened to her. So let's look at a few theories. Theory number one, Aisha ran away on her own. The runaway theory is a viable one. Even though it doesn't make sense, it kind of does. There were no signs of any break-ins or anyone entering the house. And Aisha had planned ahead as she packed a backpack. She was seen alone walking along a highway. It looks like a runaway situation by all accounts. Because Aisha was just nine years old, no one believes that Aisha continued to be a runaway at this point, however. While it may have started out that way, something might have happened to her after. Perhaps someone abducted her after seeing her walking. Although, if you ask me, that would be quite a crime of coincidence, especially in Shelby, North Carolina. Or she had some type of accident, and I hate to think about it, but something kept this child from coming back home, which at some point would have likely happened if she was just a runaway. Interestingly, in school, she had just read a book in class called The Whipping Boy by Sid Fleischman. This book tells the story of a young boy who runs away from home, and some people thought that maybe she was motivated by this book to run away for some reason. Maybe this book gave her the idea. Theory number two. Aisha was groomed by someone else. This theory seems very possible also. Did someone that Aisha knew promise something to her? Convince her that she had to meet them in the middle of the night? Her family was investigated and cleared. And remember, Aisha had no access to the internet to have any connections with anyone there. But she was very active in her church and at school. Could it have been someone that knew her from there? Or maybe even someone she knew through her family, not necessarily a family member, but maybe a friend of a family member? Or maybe even a neighbor? It's a scary thought, but it's possible. Something got Asia out of her house that night. It's really just like Aisha walked out the door and disappeared into thin air. And then I also find it quite odd that someone took the time to double bag and bury her backpack instead of destroying it or disposing of it somewhere. Maybe it wasn't even someone who had Aisha, took Aisha, or did something to Aisha. Maybe someone just found the backpack and took it for themselves and then later decided to get rid of it. What's also crazy to me is that no one has come forward to claim the items in the backpack as being theirs. Whose shirt was that in the bag? Why was it in Aisha's bag? As the years went on, there were some strange connections that would arise in Aisha's case. In January of 2014, almost 14 years after Aisha went missing, detectives arrested a Spartanburg, South Carolina man named Donald Preston Ferguson for the murder of seven-year-old Shalanda Poole. 
Shalanda had been murdered in 1990, but Ferguson wasn't identified as the suspect until 2014 through DNA. He had been arrested and served time for assaulting a 10-year-old girl prior and had already served six years in prison. He was released for that crime in 1997, and it wasn't until 2014 that he was arrested again for the murder of Shalanda. Detectives noted the similarities in that case to that of Aisha's. Shalanda had shared a room with her sister and had gone missing in the early hours of the morning, just like Aisha. However, her body was found the next day, bound and gagged, having suffered multiple stab wounds. Donald Ferguson did ultimately plead guilty to Shalanda's murder, but denied any involvement in having anything to do with Asia Degree. Investigators have now said they have ruled him out as a suspect. Another viable new lead was made public in May of 2016. Police released a statement claiming that it was possible Asia was seen getting into a dark green 1970s Ford Thunderbird or Lincoln Continental Mark IV with rust along the wheel wells. Police have not given any more details on this lead. Since then, there have been no additional solid leads coming in. Investigators continue to work this case, even involving the FBI and the North Carolina Bureau of Investigations, and the town has since dubbed Asia Shelby's sweetheart. The case of Asia Degree remains open. What do you think happened to little Asia? Asia in 2000 was a nine year old girl. She is described as being an African American female, four foot six inches tall, and weighing around 60 pounds at the time she disappeared. She has black hair and brown eyes, and Aisha often wears her hair in pigtails. If you have any information about Aisha Degree, please call the tip line at 704-672-6100 or the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children at 1-800-THE-LOST. Thank you all so much for listening to this story, to Aisha's story. Someone out there has to know something. Please consider supporting our mission by joining us over on Patreon and helping out our cases and charity partners. I so appreciate again everyone who took the time to listen today. These missing person cases need all the attention they can get. We will be back again next week with another Unsolved Missing Person episode. And until then, stay safe and hug your loved ones. 